This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. And welcome to Young Bucks, your Pittsburgh Pirates prospect podcast of choice here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. His name is Jared Kruger. My name is Alex Stump. Jared, how are you doing, man? Uh, listen, the draft has been over for a couple of days. It's about time. The Pirates are starting the second half of their season. The Curve are in town in Altoona. I go to Indy next week. Life is good. 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 You know... How did you like doing the draft coverage going through? This is this is the first time you got you got called up to the major sport. Yeah, it was um, it was definitely something outside of the doctor's appointment I was at, you know, and, and left you hanging one day. Other than that, it was pretty good. There was a lot of alerting. Um, it was the draft is crazy. There's so many rounds, and this is like nothing compared to the years prior. Prior, so I'm glad that there aren't 75 different rounds now. But it was a it was a great time to be had by all, and and now it's over, and now it's on to seeing where some of those guys end up. And we're going to touch on that in a little bit. We, we just got a lot of draft stuff that I don't, I don't think we have like a formal theme for this, for this segment. It's just eh, draft. <laughs> that was interesting. There's no way to deny that this draft is going to be determined by like the first four or five picks. Whenever we look in a couple of years, if this was a successful draft or not, not saying that, you know, someone in the later rounds, can't do something in the major leagues but if if the top four guys hit or if they don't hit it i mean that's got to tell the story and right now it looks really good assuming they can sign them all and i i believe that they will just to put that out there because that is the number one question i mean they they've got chandler you know physical way and the other players are are very close or you know it should be optimistic that they'll get it done so, Jared, of those four players, I'll even include Henry Davis, first overall, if you want the cop-out answer. But of those four players, Henry Davis, Anthony Salamedo, Lonnie White Jr., Bubba Chandler, which one intrigues you the most? I like Lonnie White Jr. I got to go with the Penn State guy, right? The two worlds collide. Um, you know, he's an athletic kid. Obviously, he's going to – like, he was committed to Penn State to play Division One football and baseball so you know he's athletic enough you know he can do it um now it's just you know getting him signed and and is that you know that's what intrigues me the most right i mean this is a kid that has the opportunity to play high level division one football like uh, bubba chandler though chandler has been adamant that he is 100 percent on board for the pirates and i would expect bubba told clemson thanks no thanks i mean that's yeah. And, uh, yeah, in all honesty, if Ben Charrington can pull some commits away from James Franklin and, and Davos Swinney, I think that's a really good haul, and this is a baseball draft. Um, but, no, I think, you know, he's got tremendous upside. He's athletic. He can hit the ball. Um, defensively, he's pretty solid. Now he's And he's got room to grow. He's got room to develop on his frame uh, physically. You know, he's only 
a high schooler. So he just graduated. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how he progresses and, and what he can provide to the um, to the Pirates organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the comp I got for him was the person they're like, you have Aldi's in Pittsburgh, right? I'm like, yeah, we have Aldi's. All right. He's Aldi's Starling Marte. He's he's not quite, you know, name brand Starling Marte. You know, not quite as, you know, exciting, good, but, you know, really, really close. And if the Pirates could get that type of player, have him reach that type of, you know, development ceiling. I mean, Starling Marte was a gold glover. Starling Marte was an all-star. I mean, there's a legitimate upside with this guy. No, and that's a really and good I think point. I, yeah. I mean, like the upside is there. You know, they don't waste that money and that pick on somebody that they don't expect to sign. No. My guy who's the most intriguing for me is the other football guy in, in Bubba Chandler. And for a couple of reasons, the first, I think he has some of the best stuff out of any pitcher in this past draft. And once he commits full-time to baseball, there should be a velo spike. Like he's touched 97 at 18, not doing baseball full-time. Like he sits in the lower nineties, but I kind of look at, you know, where, where you can touch at 18 is like maybe, you know, in that range of where you normally hit once you're fully developed, especially in his case, if this guy is going to be pumping upper 90s with, with good feel for a spin pitch and like a change up and command that's going to probably be, you know, above average, like there's a lot of things to like about this guy. But the reason I'm most intrigued is because he is going to be hitting. That's part of the things that the Pirates and him, you know, they, they worked out, you know, that's how he tells when he like, thanks, no thanks. He is going to hit in the minor leagues, at least to start. They're going to give him a honest to goodness. Look, I don't think he can play shortstop and, and pitch like even Otani DHs and pitches, but even if it's something like that, he has, I got a 65 grade for his raw power as a hitter. That is not too far off of Henry Davis people that's a really good grade improve the timing as the season goes on if he could somehow turn into a two-way player this could be this could be something the pirates answer to otani i don't think he'll make it but it's in the even if it is you know just like a one percent chance of happening and he's you know probably just going to be a pitcher it's a nice little it intrigues me i like that carrot at the end of the stick yeah i mean on on paper it looks awesome right i mean you get a chance to to be a two-way guy you we talked in previous podcasts about, you know, players that can make an impact every day. Well, if you're a pitcher and you can hit and play the field, you know, that's, that's making an impact every day, not once every five days. You know, if you're touching upper nineties, mid nineties, plus you've got some, some raw power. Yeah. You deserve to be in the lineup and maybe, you know, obviously the, the DH isn't in the NL, but you know, Yet. if he gets, the, yeah, right. But if he gets to that point, stash him in right field, stash him in left field. He's he's an athletic enough kid. Again, he was going to play high-level college football and college baseball. So, you know, the athleticism is there. The raw talent is there. And the ability to grow and, you know, build on that fit and that frame is there. So, I mean, these are these are kids that are physically immature, so, like, to, to date. But they've got room to grow, and they will grow as they get baseball – centric workouts and i think that's intriguing too because like you like you noted 
they've not focused on baseball. They are football, baseball, basketball. Every They haven't specialized in one sport yet. Once they get that, man, I think that could really be a game changer for, for Lonnie White and Bubba Chandler. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it is going to be something big there. I, there is always a risk taking these guys who have, you know, commitments to college. That's why they're going to have to go over slot. And that is the concern, I guess, still with the signability. Like, even though I'm sure the Pirates crunched the numbers, they had something basically in place with Chandler before they picked him. That's why they, you know, went third round instead of second. Because worst case scenario with a second, oh, you get a comp pick, you know, you know, for next year to, you know, lessen the blow. You don't get that with a third. So it's like, okay, the guy that we have, you know, the slam dunk for it, let's get him in the third round and the hedge our bet a little bit with, well, we could get a comp pick for you if we don't sign you. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of things like that. The amazing thing of it all with those three young, talented high school players is I don't think any of them are going to be in this organization's top 10 prospects. Davis no. will. Davis will be leading, but this farm system has grown so fast that the how many other teams are going to have a first round type talent not make the top make their top ten prospects, and how many of them are going to have three? Right, and I, I mean Ben Sherrington's done a great job of replenishing the system. You know, we talk about it all the time. Two thousand nineteen was a dismal point in the in the Pirates farm system. I mean, there was just nothing there. Um, you know, it was pretty dry. Now. That's not the case. It's it's almost completely replenished. It's among the tops in all of baseball. And, you know, we're going to get to somebody that sees those guys very early in the process. And Spencer Smith in the second segment, uh, the broadcaster for, for the Bradenton Marauders. But, you know, it's just one of those situations that they're replenishing the system. And it's okay to, to the guys with those high of grades aren't going to be highly rated prospects initially. Because eventually they're going to phase themselves out or, you know, get stronger and get better. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where they where they put Davis first. Is he going to start at Bradenton? Is he going to start at Greensboro? Where do they value his skill set? And I think that's something to, to look forward to as well. I, I, I seriously doubt we'll see Davis in Greensboro to start. That That's just a bit too aggressive of a placing. In no, I mind. think he'll start in Bradenton. But, you know, they have a guy named Andy Rodriguez there that they can send up to. Yeah. They have options, and options are always a good thing. Hey, we're done with the first segment here. Jared had an interview. We're just going to jump straight into Jared Spencer Smith interview right here. The broadcaster of the Brady to Marauders, he has watched a lot of very young, talented players play at that lower level. Jared's got some here. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Pittsburgh Pirates podcast of choice. 
um, on prospects. We've got broadcaster Spencer Smith of Bradenton with us today on our show. Spencer, thank you for joining us. Sure, thank you for having me. Now, you do a, multi- a multitude of duties in, in Bradenton. Can you tell us what they are and let us know? Because I think, you know, and we're going to get to this here in a little bit, Bradenton's kind of like the forgotten child of the organization right now with all the excitement at the upper levels. But Bradenton's still pretty exciting, too. Yeah, yeah. Eight of the top 30 prospects rank family of MLB pipeline. And that obviously makes it a pretty intriguing team to watch right now. But yeah, what I do for the team, basically, in addition to being the play-by-play broadcaster, uh, I also handle a lot of media relations duties for the team. So, if, for example, a Pirates beat writer wants to speak with one of our players or a, uh, our manager or one of our coaches, I help coordinate that. Uh, I also help uh, organize some of the game day goings on during the home games at, at Lee Comp Park. So I'll help out with, uh, you know, coordinating some promotions, you know, maybe somebody needs a, needs help setting up a table or something. It's uh, <laughs> if I'm walking by uh, in the ballpark throughout the day, I can just sort of help out with those odds and ends where needed, but uh, it's, you know, minor league baseball name of the game is sort of an all encompassing duties and the, so to speak uh, other duties as assigned. <laughs> so uh, it's a little bit more than the broadcasting, but it's uh, it's very hands-on and it's a lot of fun to help, um, you know, to help out where needed and see all these different facets of what makes a minor league game day roll. Now you mentioned eight of the top prospects. So who's the, who's the player that, you know, we might not think that they should be watching right now, but who's the player that you think we should be paying more attention to in Bradenton? You know, I, I think, uh, <laughs> I think a little while ago, I would have said Santiago Flores, but I think uh, obviously with him being promoted to high A Greensboro a couple of days ago, uh, that's now the window. And also I think the secret has been out on Flores for a long time now. <laughs> so with, uh, with him being up now, I would say Eli Wilson is a good guy to keep an eye on. He's not currently ranked in the top 30, but I would not be surprised if he works his way into that conversation pretty soon. Uh, He's shown some outstanding on base skills. He's actually reached base safely in 27 of the 30 games that he's played with us this season. Uh, He's showing some good bat to ball skills, some good power. He's got three home runs. He of course has the pedigree there. He's Dan Wilson's son, longtime major league catcher. And uh, this is also coming from a guy who, uh, hasn't even been catching all that long. He was mostly an infielder, mo- mostly a shortstop in high school growing up in Seattle, went to the University of Minnesota. His coaches coming in said, hey, we want you to play catcher. We think your skill set would fit back there. And uh, he's taken to the challenge well, and he's shown himself to be a very good defensive catcher and just threw out another would-be base dealer last night in uh, Daytona Beach. Now, you mentioned that he is a catcher. The Pirates' top catching prospect is Indy Rodriguez, and he is in Bradenton, too. What have you seen from him that, and his growth this year behind the plate? Well, what is stuck out to me the most with Andy Rodriguez has been his leadership. Uh, for a guy that started the season at 20 years old, he, he's turned 21 since then. Uh, he just shows such a knack for taking control of the game and working well with the pitching staff. And, and uh you know, coming from the Dominican Republic, he's a guy that is, is still working on his English and, and trying to, to refine that aspect and, and make it easier to communicate with his pitchers. And I actually got to talk to him the other day in a pregame interview, and he said that he, he takes building relationship, relationships with his pitchers very seriously, but he's also uh, refining other aspects of his game, even though he's already having a solid year offensively and defensively. So he's working on a quicker transfer from glove hand to throwing hand. He's thrown out a couple of base dealers lately as well. And also working on staying up the middle at the plate, not pulling off pitches too much. So he's been a lot of fun to watch. 
Now you mentioned Santiago Flores, who's now with Greensboro, but he was lighting it up on the mound. What did you see from him that, that warranted, obviously the statistics backed it up, but what did you see from him this year that, that really put him on the map? His command really stuck out to me and the numbers largely speak for themselves. Very low walk total, 14, uh, excuse me, 14 walks and 71 strikeouts over 50 innings and change. So he was regularly in the strike zone, but they, they were quality strikes. He wasn't getting hit very much. So he was locating where he wanted to locate his pitches. And not only with the fastball, he was locating that slider as well. So the fact that he had the fastball and the slider uh, command on point, that just left a lot of hitters clueless. And so as his time with us went deeper and deeper, we started to see more and more of those sort of foolish off balance and silly looking awkward check swings, just hitters chasing anything and everything against him. And uh, uh, actually connecting back to Eli Wilson for a second, I got to talk with him yesterday. Uh, he worked with Stephen Brault on rehab assignment this past weekend. And he said one thing that stuck out to him was the conviction that, that a guy that experience level pitches with. I saw a lot of that from Santiago Flores in his 10 appearances with us. Which is incredible at that age because Flores is not by any means an older player. He's still very young, but to pitch with conviction, pitch with that kind of confidence is huge at, at, the, at the low A and high A level. Yeah, it absolutely is. And so every once in a while, when you do get one of those guys who comes in at that age, who has that level of conviction, who has that confidence in his pitches and his stuff and his approach on the mound, it's really special to watch. Now let's pivot to the outfield. The outfield's, you know, looking at the roster here, it's pretty, pretty set. It's pretty good. You've got Bowen, you've got Head, you've got Sammy Siani, Jack Herman, Jake Snyder. Now tell me a little bit about what you've seen from Hudson Head because this guy comes into the organization. Um, we don't really know much about him other than what he's done uh, previously. But, you know, what, what's gone into that? What have you seen from Hudson Head this year? He's gotten playing time at all three outfield spots. He has a good arm that really fits well in a right field, but he also shows a lot of range and that makes him a solid center fielder. So defensively, he's been an outstanding asset here on the team. And I see a lot of, uh, I, I struggle to say potential because it, it's, it's not so much potential. It's like actually there in front of us. We're seeing what he can do truly defensively. And then at the plate, there has been a bit of a swing and a miss element to his game, but some of that is coming from still being a younger guy facing some more advanced college arms at times. Uh, but he's showing a sound mechanical swing from the left side. The power is there, eight home runs. That's tied for second in the league right now. And he, he shows a good approach overall. He's also walked 44 times. So that, that's tied for the team lead. And he, for a guy who even though you do see the swing and a miss uh, along with the power, you see that, that element of plate discipline, and that could be a, a very scary thing for an opposing pitcher. So he, he's a guy who's shown himself to be pretty well-rounded uh, and a lot of fun to watch. And I think you could be looking at a future, uh, future leadoff hitting center fielder. Now head and Rodriguez came over in the Joe Musgrove trade with the Padres this year, uh, this off season, but a guy that's been in the organization is Sammy Siani. And he's another lefty, lefty guy, throws left-handed, bats left-handed. Uh, how have you seen his game develop in his, um, in his year with Bradenton so far? Uh, he's also having a strong year and has a lot of similarities, actually, to, to what Hudson Head has shown. Uh, Siani, I think, has maybe an even better eye at the plate. He has drawn just as many walks, and I think, on a more consistent basis just seeing the balls around the borderline portion of the strike zone and taking a lot of very close pitches. Now he's, 
He has a little bit of work to do in facing left-handed pitchers. I think he, he tends to get fooled a little bit on breaking pitches from lefties, which granted it is one of the more difficult aspects of this game, a lefty-lefty matchup for a hitter. But we also see strong defense from Sammy Siani. He also has seen time at all three outfield positions, another good throwing arm, uh, also good confidence in the outfield no matter which spot he plays. So that that's really sort of a two-headed monster, if I could put it that way. Siani and Head, uh, just with their sheer athleticism, their speed, and their confidence defensively, and their, their good eyes at the plate, coupled with that power that they have both shown. Now, with the draft happening this week, the talk was on high school shortstops and this, that, and, and whoever, you know, the Pirates take. But the Marauders have a pretty good shortstop in Nicole Escado. How and he's only 19, so he's he's very fresh, very raw. How have you seen that translate to his game um, for Bradenton this year? Well, Escado has shown ability to uh, you know put bat to ball pretty well. And talking with manager Jonathan Johnson a few weeks ago, he's been very impressed with Michael's ability to sort of be a captain on the field. And for a guy who's so young, as you as you touched on, Jared, uh, that's something that really makes people notice that really makes people's eyes gravitate toward a guy like that who despite being just 19 years old is kind of helping take the helm and when guys are moving into the shift Escado's kind of waving guys over giving them the reminder hey a few steps that way you know this guy's you know this guy's a pole guy and to have that sort of presence on the field uh, especially for positions up the middle where leadership is especially important catcher shortstop center field I uh, certainly appreciate that and one of, my, one of my favorite little niche facts about Escado to this point is that even though he missed a couple of weeks on the injured list in the first half of June, he's still second on the team in hits. So he, he's shown a regu uh, regular ability to get on base, drawn a few walks, and uh, also shown a little bit of power in the process. No, I think that's huge for a kid that's um, you know, listed as 19. It, it's, it, that adjustment, I think, is, is huge. Now, I mentioned the draft briefly. What are your thoughts on the Pirates draft and, and who did you think they should have taken with the first pick? You know, I, I like Henry Davis. I, I, you know, I like the assessment of him as, as a very complete and advanced hitter with an advanced approach and a lot of power. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people are going to make assumptions inherently about, you know, Andy Rodriguez and Eli Wilson, two very good catchers already on the Bradenton roster and what that, how that's going to shake things up if and when, Henry Davis joins Bradenton this season. Uh, but, you know, given that the perception of depth or lack thereof in the Pirates organization in the past few years, uh, this is a good problem to have. You, you know, you, you get Henry Davis into the mix possibly here in the latter half of the summer, and that that maybe pushes Andy Rodriguez into a few more reps at first base. You know, you maybe get maybe you see one of those guys bumped up to high A. They're just really endless possibilities, but Henry Davis in terms of, um, of working his way onto a, the roster of a full season affiliate here, uh, you know, this is a guy who having all that collegiate experience at the University of Louisville uh, can really force his way onto the scene here in the low A Southeast and make some noise. So again, it, it all comes down to being a very good problem to have for the Pirates organization. No, and, it's a, and you mentioned the depth in the Pirates organization that they did not have just a couple of years ago, even, you know, to an extent last year. And it's obviously, you know, the catcher position is, is very hard to find top prospects at within this organization. And, and, you know, getting a guy like Henry Davis to, you know, can, to join guys like Eli Wilson, and Rodriguez it's I think it's huge you need you need that competition up and down the roster up and down the organization because it's only going to add 
to that competition to, to push each other to get to where they want to go. Now, Flores is the most recent guy that was promoted. Who do you see is going to get that call to Greensboro next? Whew. Put me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> that's why they pay us the big bucks here on the Young Bucks podcast. That's right. That's absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I see a multitude of guys uh, potentially making that jump. Uh, one guy that that has stood out to me so far uh, this juncture of the season has been, um, oh man, has been Luis Ortiz. Uh, he's been the the he was our opening today starter first of all, and you know he's shown a great consistency to you know stay in the strike zone, rack up a fair fair amount of strikeouts, and even though his hits allowed total it is pretty considerable, he's actually right around the top of the team in hits allowed and. Uh, opposing batting average but you look at the sheer stuff that he brings uh, fastball that he pumps into the mid 90s he'll ramp it up to 97 98 as needed uh, you know he, he's got some scary stuff that he can pump by hitters and we've seen actually when facing the meat of an opposing batting order this season he's got himself into a couple of bases loaded or second and third jams where he suddenly flips this switch and you you start seeing a different side of him he's humming that fastball in 97 98 chases at fastballs up and out of the zone and I think the ability to turn that on when needed, but at the same time, sort of pacing himself to pitch reasonably deep into a ball game. I think that speaks volumes to a guy like him looking, you know, looking for a promotion. And then I, I think also worthy of mention is Logan Hoffman, uh, who began the season, in the bullpen sort of sort of ramped up his innings and his pitch count. Uh, but it was also done a great job. He only throws that fastball in the low nineties, but brings a high spin rate. And that's something that a lot of teams are liking more and more. Uh, as far as metrics and what it can bring in terms of swings and misses. And that's another guy who's regularly in the strike zone and a guy who you can depend on to go several innings as needed. No, I think that's a very good point. I mean, just the sheer development of the pitching staff, both starters and bullpen is so, so desperately needed at every level, but especially at that young level with Bradenton, because a lot of these guys don't have a lot of professional experience. Some are just out of the Dominican or wherever they're coming from or at the college level or out of high school, the, the experience just needs to be built and they need to get built up to where they need to be. But before I let you go, I would be remiss if I did not ask you about my boy Alex's favorite guy in Eddie Yeen. What have you seen from him and how has he developed this year for the Marauders? He has come a long way. So in his first start of the season, he actually didn't make it out the first inning. Uh, he got rocked a little bit against Fort Myers in our opening series here, but as the season has gone on, he's actually adapted to a, a roll out of the bullpen recently and sort of a piggyback starter role. Uh, he, he has just turned it to another level. He's returned that fastball velocity up to 95, 96, 97, uh, touching 98 a few times, and then getting swings and misses at the breaking ball as well, and all while being in the strike zone a lot more regularly than we saw earlier in the season so early in the year we saw a little bit of falling behind in the count a couple of walks and then making mistakes in the zone uh we're seeing a lot less of that we're seeing a lot more swings and misses and really more prevalent it is the stuff that that uh folks talked about when he first came to the organization in the josh bell trade so he he is just like i said turned up to another level and sort of an interesting turning point it was fun timing he was celebrating his 20th birthday earlier this summer when he came out in that piggyback role ended up going six innings in the second game of a doubleheader that ended up going 10 innings and kept the marauders in the game struck out nine that was a new career high for him 
And uh, he, he sort of got got a little bit of a mini Gatorade bath at, at the end of the game. Eli Wilson made a walk-off home run, but then Eddie Yeen de- definitely got uh, – his teammates got his, their licks on him after that as well. No, I'm looking at, at some of the advanced stats for him, and he's got – right now this year, he's got a 64% strike percentage. So he's throwing 64% of his pitches for strikes. And I think, you know, at, at 20 years old, that's, that's remarkable. Absolutely. Yeah. And for a guy the Pirates are, are still really bringing up as a starting pitcher type and a, and a guy who they're not, not really looking at re- relegating to the bullpen at this juncture, uh, you really look for the strike throwing ability. You know, if you're, if you're looking at a pitcher who's maybe not in the zone regularly, but has some electric stuff, you know, you're saying, okay, maybe a good fit out of the bullpen one or two innings at a time, but with, with Yin's regular strike throwing ability that he's shown a bit more consistent, you know, consistency with lately, uh, that's promising for a guy that you want to see in a starting rotation moving forward. No, and I think that's something, obviously, strikes are at a premium. We, I broadcasted a Little League game uh, earlier this week. And, you know, in Little League, obviously, the comparison to, the, to that in, in, in professional baseball is probably, there's not much there. But one of the things you can they do go both ways is the walks and defending walks. So if you're able to throw strikes and get guys to hit the ball or, or throw it past them, that's obviously what you want to do. You can't defend the walk. You can't defend the hit by pitch. So when you get a guy like Eaton's throwing 64% of his pitches for strikes, that's a good problem to have. Definitely. Yeah. And it, it also allows, um, you know, with the regularity that has been in the zone lately, uh, it, you can't overlook the fact that that gives your defense a little bit of help in terms of keeping them on their toes and keeping them sharp. I think a lot of times when you see guy uh, pitchers walking a lot of guys, and we unfortunately saw a lot of this early in the season when, frankly, a lot of minor leaguers were a little bit rusty uh, after the shutdown last year. Uh, you saw a lot of walks, and all of a sudden a routine ground ball, the shortstop guy ends up booting it or throwing it away. Uh, it, you know, Regular strike throwing and then some weak contact kind of helps keep the defense on their toes, keeps them fresh and sharp, and uh, sort of helps keep everything you know, moving like a well-oiled machine. No, and, and you mentioned the start of the season and, and everybody kind of being rusty and, and pitchers both having both lots of success and lots of failure too. Obviously, at this level, there weren't very many people in Bradenton, if any, that were at the alt site last year. So a lot of these guys had to, to do a lot of their own thing. But now, at this point of the season, it's starting to get back to a little bit of normalcy in the game of baseball, a little bit normal of a, of a season and, and how it will be for the rest of the year. Yeah, that's right. And, and I remember talking with Jonathan Johnson at the beginning of the season, and, and with this being the first full season stop for a lot of these guys, uh, you know, he made it clear that a lot of these guys are going to have to learn to fail. You know, you saw guys like Alexander Mojica, who put up monster numbers in the DSL in 2019, who has has some struggles of the plate lately uh, this season. Strikeout numbers are up, batting averages down, but the power is obviously there. He, he's just one example. I'm, I'm flipping your way, though. Uh, you know, guys are going to have to learn to fail, and it's going to be o- over a longer stretch with a 120-game season. So as you, as you touched on, things sort of getting back to normal, uh, you know, the initial shock uh, of, of things being as dramatically shifted as they were stats wise at the beginning of the year as a result of the shutdown last season that's starting to even out a little bit and to use a cliche sort of uh regressing to the mean i guess um but uh yeah it, it's all sort of evening out and smoothing out i guess is a little better way to put it 
and we're starting to see a little bit get a little better of a sample size uh, as to what guys are capable of. Now let's take a look at Mojica because I'm looking at his stats right now, um, and he's hitting 186. But there's got to be more to that story than than just the batting average and the and the slash line. There really is, yeah. He he's shown a lot of hard line drive contact, and I can actually count on uh, well I can count on more than one hand I would have to grow multiple hands in order to count the number of times over the past few weeks where he's made made hard contact but unfortunately hit it right at an opposing fielder so uh, just a continued reminder that the batting average doesn't come close to telling the full story he still has that light tower power he's hit the six home runs that's still in the league's top five at the moment and he's also uh, shown some promise defensively I mean you, you sort of look at at a guy who you know I think a lot of people will be quick to assume future first baseman and he has gotten some reps at first base, but at third base, he's looked confident. He's made a lot of clean plays. He's shown some good poise, uh, you know, steady hands, accurate arm for the most part. Uh, but no, he, he's a guy who has made some mid season improvements. The strikeout rate was especially up there in the month of June. I think uh, as pitchers started to adapt to him and throw him a lot more breaking balls, he was swinging through a lot of those and you, you still see that a little bit at this juncture this summer, but he has made uh, terrific strides in laying off a few more of those waste pitches outside the zone and drawing a few more walks as a result. And I think it's also important to note, he's only 18. So he's still, I mean, he was signed, you know, very, very young in 2018. So, you know, there's still a lot of room for him to grow. Um, and I'm excited to see his progress because, you know, it, it, Six one one ninety five right now as an eighteen year old, there's still a very good chance that he's going to physically mature over the course of the next few seasons. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm uh, I'm actually kicking myself right now for for not uh, <laughs> mentioning the fact until you did that he's only eighteen years old. He he's got uh, a whole world ahead of him in terms of development and experiences to be had. So uh, a lot of room for growth, uh, but a, a lot of time for that growth, and especially during the the COVID shutdown last year. Uh, you sort of allow a little bit of margin for error for these guys uh, who weren't able to see live pitching in a traditional, uh, you know, baseball setting, especially in front of a crowd. So uh, given the Mohique, given what Mojica and other guys like him have already shown this year at his age, uh, the future is very promising. No, and I think it's important to note that the future is very promising for a lot of those guys in Bradenton. And, you know, what is one of the things that you're looking forward to now as, as we gear up uh, for the rest of the season with the Marauders? You know, I, I think the continued development of some of the guys that we've enjoyed watching already this season, uh, Jared Jones is one name who sticks out to me, second round pick from last year's draft out of high school in Southern California. He just shows this ridiculous competitive fire on the mound, made a big splash in his professional debut uh, in late May, and he's gone on to show some tremendous stuff, uh, you know, as his career has gone on. Fastballs regularly mid to upper 90s devastating breaking ball just needs to locate it which he's struggled with off and on but for the most part his command's been pretty good uh so guys like him guys like dario lopez who's shown some opposite field pop and a good line drive bat with a natural inside out stroke and then of course as the summer goes on uh as a couple of the potential draft picks obviously that may or may not include henry davis as the summer moves on some of the draft picks may make their way into bradenton for the rest of the summer uh, and given that the intermediate level, like, you know, the short season West Virginia or the rookie level Bristol, given that those levels have been eliminated now, it'll be really interesting to see not only how the Pirates organization handles it, but how 
major league organizations as a whole handle the elimination of those intermediate levels as to how it relates to where they send all these recent draft picks. No, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that because you're right. There aren't, they can't send them to the black bears or to the power um, and they can't send them to Bristol, but they do have a couple options. Obviously, you know, Henry Davis is a college guy. So where do you feel like that translate? It could be both either Bradenton or Greensboro, depending on where the pirates feel that they're comfortable at. But you know, a lot of those guys, maybe those late rounders, like the 20th round, 19th round guys, where are they going to go? Are they going to go to the, to the GCL? Are they going to go to the DSL? Where, where do you think a lot of those guys are going to kind of fall into? I think a lot of those guys are the later round guys, at least are probably going to end up in the Florida comp complex league to begin. Uh, you know, these are not the, for the most part, not the more polished uh, draft picks for the pirates. You know, these guys are going to need a little bit more seasoning, a little more refinement, and as a result, I think in the meantime, uh, a few of the guys that we saw earlier in the season here in Bradenton, like Josiah Dixon or Norquist Marcos, uh, might have some time back up here in Bradenton to, to start getting their feet wet a little bit more in, uh, with the full season affiliates against that more advanced pitching. Uh, but that being said, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those lower, you know, those lower round draft picks from the Pirates start to work their way up to the Bradenton roster before all is said and done for the season. Uh, based on how they perform and based on how evaluators think think they're handling the the opposition down there. You know, it'll be interesting to see what the Pirates do and to see how they fill out those rosters because there's a lot of there's there's going to be some turnover there. It's going to be some guys that are probably released or even traded. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out as as these draft picks get signed and the Pirates figure out where they're going. But as always, I want to thank Spencer Smith for joining us on the Young Folks Podcast. You can find him at, on Twitter at, at the Spencer with an S um, Smith. And, you know, he's a broadcaster for, for the Bradenton Marauders. You can hear his voice um, anytime that you tune in for a game on MILB.TV. But the, the Marauders should be a lot of fun to watch the rest of the year. Don't sleep on them. As fun as exciting as the pitching staff and some of the prospects are in Greensboro and, and how fun Kyle Mitchell and Mason Martin are in Altoona and obviously AAA. Don't sleep on Bradenton. That's absolutely right. Don't sleep on Bradenton. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Jared. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Spencer, for joining us. And we'll get back to you guys in the Game of Young Bucks podcast here right after a short break. got a little more still to go our thanks to spencer smith for taking some time out to talk about bradenton baseball jared neither one of us has to sing oh thank god not as much as fun, as much fun as that would have been neither of us are right it's a push you don't have to buy me food i don't have to buy you food we don't have to sing it, it's a glorious time to be had by all yeah you you were going to be uh what did i say yours was going to be was a total eclipse of the heart Yes. I think that's what mine was. And yeah. yours would have been Genie in a Bottle. All right. A little Pittsburgh, another... a little Pittsburgh flavor for Christina Aguilera there. Now, the real winner in all this are the listeners. Yes. That's what's important. Yeah. Yes. So let's talk a little bit before we are done. I'm going to be making a trip out to Indianapolis to see some of the AAA guys to talk hitting with, uh, with John Nunnally, with, to talk pitching with Joel Hanrahan and to see who else will be willing to talk to me um, as we 
as I go out there. I'll be out there for Penn State Media Day, uh, Big Ten Media Day as well. But it'll be interesting to see um, how the Indians are doing, see them up close and personal, and see, you know, kind of where Mitch Keller is at, both mentally and physically on the mound. So, obviously, he's not technically a prospect anymore, but he might be the most intriguing guy in AAA. No disrespect to D. Strange Gordon um, or anybody <laughs> of the, like that. I, I don't think D. Strange Gordon can be disrespected any more than he has by three other National League clubs <laughs> this year. That's so, a, don't worry about that. That's a very fair point, Alex. Well, everyone keep an eye out for that. Jared's going to knock it out of the park there. He always does good stuff whenever he gets out on the road. And thank you all for listening to Young Bucks. If you haven't already, just subscribe, please. I I, I can't beg and plead <laughs> for this. Like It's it's good stuff, I promise. And I listen, promise. the listen more subscribers we get, you know, the more the, the greater chance Alex can afford a haircut. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> I, I took a shower about 45 minutes before we started recording here and the hair is still very much wet despite my best efforts and it keeps falling over my eyes. And he's, he's having a, he's having a good laugh. Yeah. So somebody for- that has almost, I have more hair on my face than I do on my, on my head, but you know, it, Alex needs a haircut, you know, he's, it's baseball yeah. season. I can't afford a pair of scissors. Please subscribe. So I can. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk again next week.